0: G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to continue to look with you at Luke's Gospel today. Luke chapter 5 verse 33 through to chapter 6 and verse 11. Can I encourage you to have a Bible open, preferably a paper Bible, so you're not distracted by your telephone. Have a Bible open. Let's have a read through this passage together. Think about what it means and how it applies to us. Let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, you're a gracious God who has loved us more than we can ever imagine. Help us to understand your word now, please. Help us to delight in your salvation. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I went to a family dinner a little while ago and met uh, met a lady there. She's a few years younger than me. And she's a, a Buddhist vegan who spends her time coaching people in New Age philosophy. As it happened, I ended up sitting next to her at the dinner And she spent the entire night telling me all the things that I do wrong. Um, I eat meat, I had a leather jacket on, I don't meditate, I don't do yoga exercises. Apparently, I don't even breathe properly. I mean, I thought after 53 years of breathing, I at least had that right. Uh, On and on she preached right through the evening, rule after rule after rule, telling me all the things that she does that make her so good and healthy and happy and all the reasons why, all the things that I don't keep and all the reasons why I'm a failure. Have you ever met people like that? They're not the greatest Dinner partners, are they? They've got all these rules that you think that they think you need to follow and they've got this sort of smug and... although well, I have to say, we, we Presbyterians, we don't exactly have a great reputation on this either, do we? Our Presbyterians are renowned for being rule-bound and legalistic and sour. We, we're renowned for being holier-than-thou people who take all the fun out of life. I was watching the movie Happy Feet the other day. Um, in the movie, there are these these grumpy old penguins. These, these old penguins, they stand for rules and tradition and conservatism. They can't accept diversity. They can't accept change. Everything has to be done the way it was always done. And in the movie, they're given Scottish accents. And why? Well, because they're based on Presbyterian elders, that, that's what Presbyterians are supposed to be like. Well, maybe there's something to this. I was at a, another dinner just uh, you know, a few months ago with with some Christians who I used to know ages ago at university. Kind of reconnected with them, met them again because their their kids go to the same school as my kids. Uh, they these people they're now part of a, a Pentecostal church. Now. I don't know how the conversation came up, but they started, to, they started to tell me how they perceive me. I have to say, it wasn't pretty. They told me that, that I, that, that, that Presbyterians like me, we are full of rules. They said we're, we're good at uh, um, dotting our I's and, and crossing our T's on theology. But we have no love. We have no joy. Uh, They suggested that we might not even have God's Holy Spirit. Do you think there could be anything to to what they're saying? Are we, those stereotypical religious people, strict, rule-bound, smug, holier-than-thou, I have to say, I don't really like people like that. But is it possible that I am one? Well, Luke chapter 5 and verse 33, we're, uh, we're, we're dealing with Pharisees and teachers of the law again. Remember last week, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were criticizing Jesus for saying that he could forgive, criticizing him for hanging out with tax collectors. Well, Here again, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they speak to Jesus, and and they're they're challenging him, criticizing him again about the the religious practices that he's encouraging in his disciples. In first century Israel, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they used to fast, um, go without food, twice a week. On Mondays and Thursdays, they wouldn't eat anything. Now, this wasn't commanded in the Old Testament, and it wasn't just an early version of the 5-2 diet. They weren't trying to lose weight. What it was... It was, it was a response to the fact that Israel were not free. It was a response to the fact that they were in slavery. They were a, a conquered nation in the Roman Empire. The Pharisees would fast twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and they would pray for God to come and set them free from their slavery to the Roman Empire. They, they, they would fast and they would pray that God would send the Messiah in the line of King David to defeat their enemies to set them free, and to give them a secure place in the promised land. It started off as a good idea. It started off as an appropriate response to Israel's situation. But soon enough, it became a kind of a a marker of righteousness. It became a, a religious expectation, a sign that if you did this fasting, you were one of the truly godly people. Now, you might remember Jesus makes a bit of a joke about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about people who deliberately mark their faces and leave their hair unkempt on the days when they're fasting so that everyone knows that they're fasting, so that everyone will, everyone will, will, will think how, how, how religious they are, how, how godly they are, how pious they are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they fasted Uh, so did the disciples of John the Baptist John the Baptist it seems taught his disciples to fast and to pray asking God to send the one who was promised the the one that John said would come after him uh, that, 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 that God they would fast and pray that God would send the promised one the one who would save God's people but Jesus disciples didn't fast Unlike the Pharisees and teachers of the law, unlike John's disciples, they would eat and drink every day that they could. They would go to parties at every opportunity that they could. Um, Even with tax collectors and sinners, like we saw last week, they would happily eat and drink and party along with them. To the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, this didn't seem very religious. It didn't seem very pious. And so they asked Jesus about it. Luke chapter 5 and verse 33. Have a look with me. Luke chapter 5 and verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answers with a bit of a parable. He talks about the, the, the wedding traditions of the day. When the groom arrived, his friends didn't fast. When the groom arrived, His friends would have a party. Verse 34. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? What do you think Jesus means by this parable about the groom? Well, remember the context the Jews were fasting and praying twice a week, asking God to send the Messiah. Asking God to, to send the one who would conquer their enemies and set them free, give them a secure place in the promised land. So, what's Jesus saying? What's this stuff about the, the, the bridegroom being with them? What Jesus is saying, He's saying, It's me, isn't He? Jesus is saying, He is the Messiah. He is the one who has come to save Israel and set them free. He is the one who's come to give Israel a secure place with God forever. He is with them, no need to fast and pray, asking for God to send him. Although it's interesting, Jesus hints that it's not all going to happen at once. He says that he's going to be taken away from them. His people won't get everything promised straight away. He was with them at the time. he would be taken away and so he says that they they will have stuff to fast and pray about what he's referring to of course is the fact that he 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 would die on the cross rise again go back to heaven and and that the salvation that he wins the 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 bringing his people's security in the promised land with God forever that's not going to happen fully until he returns so there there will be a time for fasting Jesus says just not while he's with them verse 35 but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. And Jesus now goes on. He goes on to compare the religion that he brings with that of the Pharisees. And he says he says that he's bringing something new. He's bringing in a whole new way of being in relationship with God. And, and he says... It's not going to match with the religion of the Pharisees. It's not going to fit in with them and with all their rules. Jesus compares it to um, trying to fix an old garment with a new one. The new one It won't match with the old garment. Or or he talks about trying to put new wine into brittle old wineskins. New wine needs to expand and ferment. You put into brittle old wineskins, it's not going to work. The new cannot be contained in the old. Verse 36, he told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they'll have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. The old can't contain the new. This, This new way that Jesus brings cannot be contained within the rules of Pharisaic religion. But Jesus knows this. The Pharisees are very much invested in their old ways. They've got a lot at stake. They've worked hard. They've earned respect. They've earned status. They love their religious system with all its rules and regulations. And so they're not going to like Jesus' new way. Verse 39. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Jesus knew that his new way would cause promises, but it would He knew that his new way would cause problems. He knew the Pharisees wouldn't like it. And now in the next two scenes, we see that Jesus was exactly right. Next scene. It's a Saturday, a Sabbath day. Now, again, a bit of background. In the Old Testament, God had commanded Israel to rest on the Sabbath. He said, this is a day where I don't want you to do your job. I don't want you to work. I want you to have a rest and worship me. It was a way of God reminding them that he was the one who gave them everything. Of course, of course, we people, we need to work to earn a living. Of course, we need to work to to, to get food and so on. But our work and everything else is no good to us without God. And so God commanded them to rest one day a week. Israel, they're told not to work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, to their credit, they wanted to obey God's commands. And, and, and so because they thought it was about rules, what they tried to do, they tried to work out exactly what it is that constitutes work. And they ended up with hundreds of different rules about it. And again, what started off as a good thing, take a day off, it became, again, a marker of how religious you are. You have to keep all of these rules so that everyone can see how pious you are. So we come into chapter 6, it's a Sabbath day. Jesus and his disciples, they're going for a walk, they come across a field, they see some nice grain there, they're hungry, and so they, 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 they grab a few stalks, grab a few bits of grain, take the grain out of it and, and eat them. Chapter 6 and verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Now, under the law of Moses, you're perfectly entitled to do this. It's not considered stealing, as long as you don't put it all in a bag and take off with it or something like that. It's fine to take a bit of food and eat it. Not considered stealing in the Old Testament. But the thing is, what the disciples were doing, it, it, it broke some of the Sabbath rules that the Pharisees had made up. Technically, there were four rules that the Pharisees had made up, if you're interested in this. Um, there were rules against thre- um, rules against reaping, that's pulling it off, rules against threshing, that's rubbing it, rules against winnowing, and w- rules against preparing food. According to the Pharisees, you're not supposed to do any of this on the Sabbath. Now, by this time, the Pharisees are keeping a close eye on Jesus and his disciples. Uh, they see what they're doing, and again to the Pharisees, It doesn't seem very religious. It doesn't seem very pious. And so they challenged Jesus' disciples about it. Verse 2. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, in one sense, Jesus could have dealt with this at a a kind of legal level. He could have had a very good legal rule argument to, to, to win here. They're just grabbing a bit of grain. It's not like they're farmers who are reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food on the Sabbath. They're not doing their job on the Sabbath. What they're doing isn't really work in the sense that the Old Testament means it. Their job is not to be farmers. But interestingly, Jesus doesn't answer like that. Instead, he takes the opportunity to teach about himself, about about who he is. The first thing Jesus talks about is King David. He talks about a time that King David did something that that, that technically broke the law of Moses. He ate some bread from the temple and and he gave it to his men. But in the Old Testament, King David is not criticised. Verse 3, Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus makes his point. He says, he is Lord of the Sabbath. Like King David, he is a great king. And if he wants to give his men some bread on the Sabbath, he's perfectly entitled to do it because of who he is, the great king in the line of David. Verse five, then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath of the Sabbath. Next scene. It's another Sabbath day. Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. There's a man there with a terrible injury. His his hand is is, is shriveled up. The Pharisees are watching. According to their rules, you can't heal on the Sabbath unless it's a life-threatening situation. They're looking for a chance to to accuse Jesus, to to accuse him of breaking their Sabbath rules. But Jesus knows what they're thinking. And he knows they've got it all upside down. The Sabbath law, it's supposed to be a day of resting and worshipping God and doing good delighting in the fact that God provides for them. It's not supposed to be about rules. It's not supposed to be about sour religiosity. These Pharisees, they think they're upholding God's God's law with all their rules, but meanwhile, they've lost the whole point because they're conniving and they're jealous and they're angry and they're proud. And so right in front of them all, right in their faces, Jesus heals the man. Verse 6. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life, or to destroy it. He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. It's a stunning miracle. And surely you would think that it would make the Pharisees stop and reconsider. How does he do that? Maybe we've got our rules wrong. Maybe we have got it upside down, but no. They are so convinced of their own rightness. They're so so embedded, so caught up in their legal rules that make them look good. They're so stubbornly stuck in their ways that even seeing Jesus here like this, it just makes them furious. And then on this day, forgiving life and healing, on this Sabbath day where you're supposed to delight in God, on this Sabbath day when you're supposed to do good, they start to plot how they can hurt and kill Jesus. Verse 11. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. I mean, when you see it like this, it's crazy, isn't it? They've lost all perspective. And yet with a rules religion, it is very easy to be like this. It's very easy to lose perspective, to get so focused on your rules that you forget the whole point. I remember many, many years ago, just after I finished school, I went to visit my relatives in Holland. Uh, they are, they're Jewish and they're, they're quite orthodox, quite strict. I remember one day being uh, on, a, on a Sabbath day, on a Saturday, being with my cousins and we were talking about music. And I happened to have an old cassette tape with me. It wasn't old then. It was a new a cassette tape with me. It was my favourite cold chisel cassette. Some good Aussie pub music. And, and so I offered to play it for them. But they said, oh, no, sorry. It, it's the Sabbath. We can't, we can't turn on the stereo. See, they have this rule that you can't turn on any electrical equipment on the Sabbath because that will constitute work. Okay. But then the next Saturday, I wanted to visit my cousins again. I spoke to them, but, but they said, sorry, um, today there's an antique dealer's fair, so, so our dad will be working all day. Now, this was way before I was a Christian. This was way before I knew anything about the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament. But even I could see the irony. They won't turn on the stereo on the Sabbath but if there's an antique dealers' fair, they'll work all day on the Sabbath. Jesus had a great expression for it. Jesus calls it—he calls it uh, straining out a gnat from, from say so you, you're pouring some soup, you strain out a gnat, but then you swallow a camel. Straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You focus so much on obeying y- y- your little rules that you lose all perspective on what God intended in the first place. Sadly, that's the Pharisees. Lost all perspective in their rule-bound religion and now they're plotting to kill Jesus. Okay. You see what's here in this passage today? Three controversies, again, between Jesus and the religious leaders. The religious leaders, they don't like the way Jesus' disciples eat and drink instead of fasting. They don't like the way Jesus' disciples um, pick grain and eat it on the Sabbath. And they don't like the way Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Jesus keeps breaking their rules, and they don't like it. And why? Why does Jesus... Break their rules? Well, he says He says it's because he's come to bring something new. Jesus has come as the Messiah, the King in the line of David. He's come to graciously forgive his people and set them free. And so the religion that Jesus brings, it's about freedom and joy and love. He's bringing new wine. Actually, to use the Old Testament expression, he's bringing a new wine covenant and it won't be it can't be contained in the rule-bound legalism of the religious leaders all right all right let's think about applying this passage to ourselves here's the point we christians are a saved people we are a forgiven people Jesus, out of his pure grace and kindness, has come into this world to rescue us by his life and death and resurrection. Jesus has won for us the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus has won for us a place in God's eternal kingdom. Jesus has brought in God's new covenant, where, as the prophet Jeremiah put it, God forgives our wickedness and remembers our sins no more. If you are a Christian, You are not saved because you keep rules. You are not forgiven because you keep rules. You are not accepted by God because you keep rules. You do not have a place in heaven because you keep rules. You're not better in God's sight because you keep rules. You are saved by the sheer grace of God. God is not some tiger dad who's constantly demanding that we, that we jump some new bar. God is not some, some, some harsh father who, who will only accept us if we meet his standards. No, no, God is a gracious father. God is a gracious father who in Christ has picked us up and brought us home. Friends, that should make a difference. It should make a difference to how we to how we express our religion so to speak. It should make a difference to how we feel and it should make a difference to how we act. First, first it should make us humble. There is no room for a forgiven sinner to be smug. There's no room for a forgiven sinner to be holier than thou there's no room for looking down on the world as if we're better or smarter or more righteous now of course we should want to talk to other people about jesus of course we should want them to know what we know but it should never be with any sense of superiority we shouldn't be patronizing with people we shouldn't be rude or angry about it and and we shouldn't be too quick to criticize or condemn the world as if we're somehow better than anyone else. We are wretched, hopeless, hell-bound sinners saved by the sheer grace and mercy of God in Jesus. We genuinely have nothing in ourselves to boast about it, to, to boast about. We genuinely have nothing in ourselves to make us feel superior to anyone else. It must surely cause us to be humble people. And then second, being saved by grace, it should lead us to be grateful, joyful people. In Jesus, God has loved us. God has forgiven us. God has accepted us. God has given us a place in his eternal house. I don't don't see how we can believe that and then have a religion which is sour and joyless. I don't see how we can believe that but then be all fixated on rules and, and, and regulations. Now, of course, there is plenty to be sad about in this world. Jesus himself, he talks about fasting while we wait for the bridegroom to return, while he's been taken away from us. We shouldn't be silly, superficial, Pollyanna-type Christians who, who ignore the tragedy of reality. But that said, we know the end of our story, don't we? And so we should have a deep joy. We are receiving, as the Apostle Peter says, the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. The, the Apostle Peter put it very well. He said, he said, Christians greatly rejoice, though now for a little while we have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There are things to be sad about. Reality is tragic now. But, and of course, as Christians, we will keep rules in response to God's great love, in response to his gracious salvation, we should want to live our whole lives in a way that is pleasing to God. That will involve avoiding the things that God hates. It will involve doing the things that God wants. True Christians will will keep rules. But can you see it? It's not a... It's not an arrogant, smug, holier-than-thou keeping of rules. And it's not a a scared, bitter, I-have-to-be-accepted-by-God way of keeping rules. We do it as saved people, as forgiven people, as accepted people. And so for us, we shouldn't have that kind of legalistic, rule-bound fear of someone who thinks they have to earn their salvation by obedience. And we shouldn't have that arrogance of thinking that we've somehow done something to be pleasing to God and so we're better than other people. Friends, Jesus saves us. He's brought in a new wine religion. And that should make a difference. It should make us humble. And it should make us deeply grateful and joyful in our service to God. I've spent a fair bit of time thinking about that dinner that I had with those... Parents from the school, the, my uni friends who are Pentecostal Christians, those people who told me how grumpy and scary I am. Now, to some extent, I think they were being unfair. I think they were caricaturising me, and they, they haven't known me for, for years and years. And I actually think they might, might have been a bit defensive because of some of, the, some of the ways that they ignore the clear teaching of the Bible, some of the compromises that they make with modern culture, particularly around, well, compromises that they make with modern culture. They didn't want to hear what I had to say. They were defensive, and so it was, it was easy to just characterize me as arrogant or whatever. But having said all that, I have been really challenged. I've been challenged to think about, have I really grasped the, the vibe of Jesus' new wine religion? Am I recognizably humble? Am I recognizably joyful? Or am I still caught up in the arrogance or, or the fear of having a rule-bound religion? I think it is a challenge, don't you? Something for us to pray about? Let's let's do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so sorry for the way we caricaturize you as a God who demands our obedience before you will accept us. We're so sorry for the way that we forget about your grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and think that we somehow have to measure up by our own rule-keeping. Sorry for the arrogance that that produces in us, making us think we're better than other people. Sorry for the fear and anxiety that produces in us as we, as we worry about whether we're good enough for you. Father, will you please work in us by your Spirit, grant us a, a, a deep understanding of this new wine religion that Jesus has brought, where he saves us, where you forgive our sins and remember our wickedness no more, where you transform us by your spirit to be the people you want us to be. Father, help us in the light of this new way to be humble and, and to joyfully serve you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.